praise God. <laughs> Ooh, great is our God. It is God's breath that is in our lungs. That's why we pour out our praise. You know, we've created a lot of things in this world, but we haven't created anything where we didn't have to use the natural resources that God created first. To God be the glory. Great is our God. And great is our God's faithfulness unto us. And if we're able to be in this place today, singing our God's praise, it was nothing but God's grace that has kept us. Throughout this pandemic, it has kept us throughout the various seasons of our lives. So every now and then, we need to give God a hand praise and just say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Because God brought us through. We didn't bring ourselves through. We are living on God's grace and God's mercy. And every now and then, we need to remember who we are because of who Christ is. You know, sometimes we look at the TV or we're looking at our computers or our cell phones and they tell us who we ought to be according to the world's standards. But I stopped by here this morning to tell you who you truly are, who you are as a child of God. I stopped by to tell you that we, we are a unique, unique people with a unique identity. We can't just look like the world and take on the world's behavior. We are a people that God has given a purpose and we choose to live at our mission as God's kids with intentionality. That's why we worship. My friends, you and I, we were designed to create and to thrive in holy communion with each other. We, you know, that's why this pandemic has been so hard on us, because God designed us for community. And that community was taken from us for too many months. Our identity is shaped and formed and defined by the company that we keep. And we choose to keep company with God's kids. These very basic precepts, being of unique identity, chosen by God. The Bible says we are a royal priesthood. We are purposeful and we are mission focused. This is who we are. And most of all, we are beloved by the great creator, the king of all kings. God above all others chose to love us in our humanity. And that ought to just make you happy today that you are more than the world can ever sell you or tell you that you are. You are a beloved son. You are a beloved daughter of our God. And this unique identity as being chosen and being loved and being purposeful is our greatest blessing. And it is also our greatest challenge. Today's scripture points us in the direction of the heart 
of our Christian spirituality, our Christian um, way of living here on earth. It, this scripture today, it leaves us with no questions to be answered. It leaves us with no complicated problems to be solved. It leaves us with an understanding of what it takes to live this Christian faith. If we have the ears to hear it and the heart to receive it, I believe that this word of God will be given to us in a simplistic way of un unveiling and unpacking the good news that is found in this scripture. So let us prepare our hearts and our ears to hear what God has to say for us to us today. Let us pray. God, you are the true vine, and we are your branches. Today we ask that you connect us to your word. Connect us to you. Connect us to each other. And God bless us to leave this place bearing fruits of joy, hope, peace, and justice. May it be so in the name of Jesus. Hear these words from the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter, beginning with the first verse, going through the eighth verse, and I'll be sharing from the NRSV Bible, the New Revised Standard. I am the true vine. My father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to our God. In these few verses... <laughs> The word abide is used at least eight times. That alone ought to tell us that abiding is critical, a critical principle that defines us as authentic followers of Christ. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Abide in me. 
as I abide in you. As we gather for worship in person and in cyberspace, we are practicing the simple discipline of inviting Christ to abide in us, to infuse us with his presence. We worship to invite Christ to be in this place. Uh, uh, in the old religious language, we say invoke. We invoke the presence. We invite. We have not come just to be with each other because we love each other and, and we want to find friends and sisters and brothers and new uncles and aunties and grandparents for our kids. We have come to this place to be in God's presence. Each week when we gather for Bible study and Sunday school, praise and worship, we are practicing abiding, being in the presence of God as a community of faith. As followers of Jesus, we freely offer ourselves to these spiritual disciplines of prayer and study, worship and praise with the hope that when the teacher has finished facilitating, the worship minister has ushered us to the crescendo of praise and the preacher of the day has pronounced the word of benediction. The goal is that our practice of being with Jesus in the presence of our family conditions us to live by faith and not by sight. It conditions us to live, not succumbing to our conditions, but rising above our circumstances. Our practice, you got to practice if you want to get better. No NBA player ever made it into the NBA by not practicing. Not only did they practice, but they practiced longer and harder than all the others who never made it to the NBA or the NFL or Major League Baseball. But what about your faith? How do we do this thing without practicing being in the presence of God? It is our practice that conditions us to move beyond our earthly circumstance and sit in God's holy presence. We cannot cultivate a habit of inviting Christ to shape us, to influence us, to empower us to see and to hear the world and each other through the eyes of Jesus without being in his presence. You see, our practice empowers us to develop the eyes of Christ, to see each other not as we are, but as Christ sees us to hear each other, not through the filters of these ears, our physical ears, but as we practice being with Christ, we began to hear each other through the ears of Jesus. And I dare say that our fruitfulness as disciples rises or falls on us cultivating a life of intentional abiding, enduring, and remaining in a state of awareness that God is with us. During the Christmas Advent season, you hear a lot of songs about Emmanuel, 
But Emmanuel is 365 days a year, 24-7. And you may not be living in the awareness of Emmanuel, but Emmanuel is forever aware of you. Remaining in his presence. Jesus is not out there. Jesus is within us. And our thoughts and our behaviors are being guided by the Holy Spirit if we surrender to it. And I want to believe that the most essential thing that we can do to bless the world and to bless each other is to practice responding to our broken, hurting world that experiences injustice and disappointment with the mind and disposition of Jesus Christ. What a different world it would be. If when we bumped up against each other's hurts and edges, and you know how some of us are, <laughs> if when we bumped up against each other, what would it be like to respond as Christ would respond? You know, a few years back, the kids all had a, a bracelet that said, WWJD, what would Jesus do? We should be saying, I am doing as Jesus did. That is our consciousness. I choose to respond because Jesus has already given the response. He's already given us the perfect example. So I don't know why we're still sitting around wondering what would we do. Just do what he did. When you bump into other people's hurts, their failures, and maybe they step on your toes and they hurt your little feelings, respond as Jesus responded. Certainly they stepped on his toes. Certainly they offended him. Certainly they rejected him. But how did Jesus respond? That's what I want to do. Matter of fact, this was so critical that the Apostle Paul writes to us in Philippians 2.5, let the same mind, and some of y'all know this from Sunday school, <laughs> let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to abide. To take on the mind of Christ. And what was that mind? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself. Now, that, you can live your whole Christian faith on that scripture if you understand its meaning. Jesus, who was God, did not consider himself equal to God. That is a basic principle that we have to learn as followers of Christ here on earth. We have lots of gifts and graces, but we are not God. We have a lot of things that we do to the point of excellence, but we are not God. We do not want to take God's place in our world, in our lives, in our family. You see, if you're blessed to have family, you need to know that family is God's gift to you. They're not supposed to take God's place. They're God's gift. God has entrusted them. Even your beautiful, wonderful, good-looking spouse is not your spouse. It is your treasure, your gift. And God bless you to have them as a spouse. You, you weren't wise enough to go out and choose the right mate. God steered you, wooed you. And sometimes we, we got ahead of God and we had to go through two or three spouses to get the one that God intended because we ran too fast and got in front. We, come on, I, I'm just saying this is just who we are. Sometimes we done outran God and we said, Lord have mercy. I say this a lot. Sometimes we marry for puppy love and live a dog's life and God is graceful. Sometimes he works it out and turns us both into poodles, but sometimes one's a bulldog and one's a poodle and they just do not get along. <laughs> 
So just know, I mean, that's what it is to be human, right? But we're forever striving to have the ears of Christ. We're ever striving to have the eyes of Christ. And we should be forever striving to have the heart of Christ. And Christ humbled himself, put himself under the authority of the creator. And we have an issue with authority because we are Americans and we don't want to submit. But Americans aren't going to heaven. Saved people are. Oh, whoa! All of the people who put God in first chair, they're on their way. All right, he has to be first. So the question for us is how how can we cultivate and then incorporate the humility of Jesus into our daily lives? How can we do that? Okay. Well, let me just say that the first thing that you and I have to do is understand that we have been sold a pack of lies by the world. You see, the world tells us if we humble ourselves, we're weak. The world, according to the world's standards, if we humble ourselves, it is a sign of weakness and, and it is destined that others will take advantage of us. That's the lie that the world wants us to believe, and it keeps us from humbling ourselves before our God and even recognizing the authority of human leadership that God puts over us. That's the lie that the world tells us. But the world also gives us some, some great examples of wonderful human beings who got it right when it came to living a life of humbleness. The one of the first people that comes to my mind is Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, I don't think she quite made five feet unless she was on her tippy toes. But she humbled herself and chose to serve humanity. And because she served all of the poor and the sick, wherever she was, that little bitty statue of five, less than five feet tall, her story has influenced a world, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, you know what it is to serve if you look at her story. To serve, not to be served, but to serve. And may I just bring up someone who is not of our tribe. What about Mahat Gandhi? Mahat Gandhi. He stood less than five feet and four inches tall. His humility helped to shape not only India, but his humility and magnanimously he influenced the civil rights movement in America, not out of power, but out of humility. And it's the thing that we often forget about Gandhi. Gandhi's faith was firmly rooted in Hinduism. But here's one thing you have to respect about Gandhi. He welcomed other religions and especially the Christian faith. Listen to the words of Gandhi's favorite hymn. He alone is a true devotee of God who understands the pain and suffering of others. At one point, somebody asked Gandhi, why was he not Christian? Because he quoted Jesus a lot. And we may not like his response, 
He said, if it were not for the people who are Christian, I believe that I would be a Christian. Some of y'all really got that, didn't you? Right, you know? So our light shines, and we need to make sure that our lives are carrying into the world the right message so we don't have people say, well, you know, I would be a Christian if it wasn't for the ones that I know personally. As followers of Jesus, our goal in life is to become more like Jesus. We sang a song, more, more, more like Jesus. That is the goal. And, and see, here's the beautiful thing. I don't get to judge how far along you are in your more like Jesus journey. That is something for you and God to work out. And you ought to be able to look back over your life and determine for yourself, am I becoming more like Jesus you ought to look at how you respond to the people that is closest to you, especially when you're under pressure, and say, now, am I more like Jesus or more like me? Because I tell you, me shows up on my journey a lot. And maybe y'all already made it. I'm not there yet. Me gets in my way. Me, that's who I, I, I will stumble over me when I am not humbling myself to the authority of God. Are you becoming more, more like Jesus every day? That is our goal. God has given us a few tools in our toolbox to increase our capacity to experience Jesus in the heart of our daily lives. Jesus is not a Sunday morning person. Jesus is a spirit that lives within us yesterday, today, will be there tomorrow and throughout all eternity. Don't save your Jesus for Sunday morning. But Jesus is an everyday Jesus. I want to tell you, one of the first tools that I believe that God gives to us to help us practice becoming more like Jesus, it is the gift, the tool of silence. And I won't spend a lot of time on silence today because I talked about it last week. But, you know, the other day, I decided to go to the Cordy Rec. I was getting my car cleaned up, and I just thought, I'll just walk from here down to the quarter rack, and I'll just, you know, do my little walk and get all my steps in. But then when I got there, I was drawn to the labyrinth. I don't know how many of you ever go to the labyrinth or have walked it as a spiritual discipline, but it looks like a little circle thing, just keeps you moving, you know. And as I began to walk, my head was filled with noise. And so, you know how it is when you're trying to meditate or get into silence? The harder you try, the louder the noise gets. And so, as I began to walk, I kept trying to still my soul to enjoy the moments as I walked the labyrinth round and round. And I just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And the noise was there, the noise of everydayness, of the task that you got to get done when you finish. And I could, I just had to, I, I was thinking, well, you know, instead of walking, you know what I could be doing? I could be out speed walking to get my steps in. Uh, I could be doing this, that, and the other. I, I was just coming up with a lot of noise to substitute my time with this spiritual discipline of 
quieting and stealing myself. But again, I just kept putting one foot in front of the other until eventually my awareness shifted. Now, I want to say my surroundings didn't change, right? But my awareness shifted one step after one step after another. And all of a sudden, instead of hearing all of the noise of my agenda and cars rolling in and out, I could clearly hear the birds singing because I shifted. I could see the beautiful cardinal birds prancing around in the garden. My surroundings didn't change. I had to shift. I had to surrender myself in order to value the moments of silence that God was trying to create for me. As I concluded my time, I had to make myself a promise. I vowed to come back to the labyrinth because I want to come back to that place where God met me in the silence. Silence cannot just be an occasional walk in life, an occasional trip around the labyrinth of life, uh, unusual events that show up. But silence gives to us the ability to abide with Jesus. Silence has to be valued in the midst of our noisy, noisy world. It has to be valued as an essential part of our spiritual well-being. While some people might think, you know, and look at silence and say, you know, silence is a waste of time. Silence is distracting. The other day I had to tell somebody that I was talking with because, you know, they just kept talking and I finally said, you know, it's okay to have silence. Silence is good. You do not have to fill up the space with words and sounds. For the followers of Jesus, silence provides the necessary fertilizer that we need to bear fruit for Jesus in our world. It is within the context of silence that we are shaped, empowered, and inspired. But you have to make time for it. God has also given us another wonderful gift that may seem uh, the opposite of silence, but God has also given us the gift of music. Yes, music is in our toolbox. There is something about the human soul that craves silence, and there is something about the human spirit that craves an opportunity to be with good music. Now, I must make a confession like Loretta Lee, and I'm a coal miner's daughter from Kentucky. And so my music is very diverse. Honey, in a heartbeat, I can go from bluegrass to contemporary country western down to rock and roll. I can do it all and end on a gospel note with one song. It's just who I am, because I'm one of the people, I just make up a song. Hannah will see me in the house, there is no radio on, no TV on, and I'm just dancing through the house, and she'll say, Mama, ain't no music. I said, Honey, the music is in me. 
<laughs> it makes me dance. It makes me prance. It made me get silly like a fool for Jesus. All of us have a song in our hearts somewhere that's singing and moving us toward who God wants us to be. We need, if you don't think we need music, why don't you go look at the hymn book in the Bible? There are 150 songs for you to sing. They call them the Psalms. But all they are are hymn songs. And here's the good news. There is a psalm for every occasion that you will ever encounter in life. Whether you're broken or silly happy, there is a song for it. Matter of fact, the reality of how wonderful the psalms are, <laughs> people don't realize this. But when Jesus was hanging on the cross... And Jesus was about to give up the ghost that we call life. The very breath of his body was leaving him and blood was draining out of his body. You know what Jesus was doing? Singing a song. Say what, Pastor Ben? He was. He was singing Psalms 22. And the problem, we get hung up on the fact that he didn't get to finish the song. Because the song starts out something like this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Man, that is the making of a blues song. <laughs> or one of those old country western songs. When everybody done left, you know, we can sing. If whether you're black or white, you will find one of those sad, sad songs. But it don't end there. He started out singing that song. But the song ends with words that we never go to in the Easter story. All we talk about is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But the closing words are these. Posterity. That means future generations. Future generations will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord and proclaim the deliverance of a people yet unborn. Jesus was singing for you. Jesus was singing for me. He hanging on the cross said, Lord, I am hanging here, God, my Father, for the people who are yet unborn. I wasn't born yet, but he died for me. He sung a song for me. He sung a song for you. <laughs> Never thought about that, did you? Jesus hanging on the cross. His breath left him before he finished the psalm, but he left it so we could go back and read it. For the people yet unborn, saying, this is done. <laughs> he was saying, I finished everything that the unborn need to make it to my heavenly father. Oh, my goodness, y'all. God gave us a song. So Bill Gates, he came along later on, and he said, for every occasion, there is a song. You got yours, and I got mine, and mine might sound like bluegrass. I can't help it. I'm from Kentucky. And sometimes it sounds like good old African-American spiritual. And sometimes it sounds like a contemporary country western song. And every now and then I might tip over to a praise song. So silence and music, we need them for our soul work. There's one other tool I want you to take with you. You need silence. You need music. Because our bodies need to experience God. But that final tool in our toolbox, it's a bit more complicated. And it requires more than just turning on the radio or finding a quiet place to be. That final tool that you're going to need 
requires a heightened level of focus. It requires some preparation, you know. That final word that you need, tool, is the word of God. There is no substitute for it. You cannot be fruitful in this life without giving attention to the word of God. God's word is meant to be enjoyed silently and aloud. And it is meant to be received and shared with intensity and passion. But don't confuse that with loud and exaggeration. God's word, when you take yourself to it, you have to bring all of who you are. Now, us Methodists, you know, we come up with a simple little word called the quadrilateral. Seems like a big old word. But what the quadrilateral means is you need to rest in the word. And rest is an acronym. When you come to the word, bring your reasoning with you. Don't check your brain at the door. When you come to the word, bring your personal experience of Jesus. So R-E, I made it there, right? Reason and your personal experience with Jesus. When you come to the word, know that it is sacred scripture. It is holy. So there's your S. It is sacred. And when you come to the word, Come with the T, church tradition, the tradition of the faith. When you come to the word of God, rest in it. Reason, experience, sacred scripture, and the tradition of the church. When you come to the scripture, you got to bring all of who you are because the Bible is not a history book. It is a living experience. And if we bring all of who we are to this text, we will discover that we're not just reading God's word, we are doing it. We become it. We discover that we are abiding with Christ Jesus. Silence, music, Resting in the word of God delivers us safely into the presence of our magnanimous Savior. And today, as we make our way to the Lord's table, we all know that we're unworthy to go to the table. We all know ourselves to be sinners. We keep on trying to be saints, but we're sinners saved by grace in need of a savior. As we make our way to the table today, what the text has taught us is that we will never be worthy to come to the table. We come to the table because of the work that Jesus did on our behalf. Make sure we don't get so holy that we forget Jesus came for sinners to open the door the entrance to the heavenly father through his life, death, and resurrection. Every sinner can find their way to his invitation. Come and abide with me. And what does he require? 
He requires that we surrender our will to his will. He requires that we respond to his invitation. And finally, he says, come, abide in me as I abide in you. He's already there. Come. Take up residence with me because I want to live with you, not just while you're going through. Now, I want to just say this as I close and move us to the table. Abiding in Christ does not give us a pain-free card. It doesn't give us a get-out-of-jail-free card. (laughs) Abiding with Christ means that there is no mountain too high that God won't climb it to be with us. There's no valley too low that God won't stoop down and pick us up. We can't fall so far behind that God won't usher us forward, and we never have to go through the world alone because (laughs) he is Emmanuel. He is living. Where is Jesus in you? Try listening to it. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us prepare to be at this table today. As we come to the table today, if you do not have your elements and you would like elements, please raise your hand and Julia, make sure you get elements. We're still uh, being uh, COVID sensitive. So if you don't have, all right, get your hands up. Praise God, we're going to wait on everybody. And then we're going to go through the great Thanksgiving together. It is our liturgy for Holy Communion, and it reminds us of who we are because of who Christ is. You don't qualify. He qualified you to come to his table. This is an open table in the very act of being invited to share in this holy meal is God's grace, graceful opportunity to woo you into a loving relationship that will transform your life. And as our lives are transformed, we are empowered to transform the world. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Holy are you, and blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread and gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take, eat, 
this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ, offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here, one with each other and one in ministry. Pour your spirit out, O God. Bless the gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, in your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. And the people said, and now let us with the confidence of children Together pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And as we pray this prayer, let us remind ourselves that this is a prayer of examination that allows us to surrender ourselves as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please take your element in your hand if you will fold back the top, your wafer will be exposed first. The body of Christ broken for us. Let us eat together. blood of Christ poured out for each of us for the remission of our sins. Let us drink together. Spirit of the living God, we surrender. We surrender to you. Come, Lord Jesus, 
abide in us. Live in us. Lord, you are welcome to live through us. Teach us to hear the cries of the world through your ears. Teach us to see all of your people as you see them, O oh Lord. Those who are sick, suffering with cancer, trying to overcome COVID, those who are struggling with broken relationships, broken lives, struggling with addiction, held captive by mental illness. Teach us, O oh God, to see the captives with the ears of Christ, the eyes of Christ, the heart of Christ. Now, O oh God, empower us to receive the dispensation of your Holy Spirit to walk with us beyond the table into our lives, proclaiming your great joy. May it be so in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.